You are listening to the Sunnybrook Community Church Podcast. To learn more about Sunnybrook Church, including our Sunday gathering times and opportunities throughout the week, visit us online at sunnybrookchurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Jeff Mose. Hey, just by way, before we start this morning, anybody see any football yesterday? Anybody watching? Any? Yeah, me too. Michigan beat Ohio State. We're actually 12-0. Whoever said cheaters don't prosper? Come on. Now, we're playing Iowa this weekend, from my understanding, in the Big Ten Championship. Yeah. And some of you are worried, is Michigan going to steal our signals? Listen, we've seen your offense. We don't need to steal your signals. We don't. Right now, I could probably use a little bit of grace, so that's what we're going to talk about together today. We're going to talk about the fact that grace happens. Now, you may not have known this, but when I was in high school, I was a lifeguard. I lifeguarded mostly around pools, but one summer I lifeguarded on Lake Michigan. Here's what I noticed, though. In the time that I lifeguarded my career, about four or five years, I probably rescued three or four people from drowning. Never once did they come back to me and say, thank you. Here's usually what they said. Hey, listen, if you'd just give me a little bit more time, I could have saved myself. If I had just sort of bobbed maybe once or twice more, I think I could have gotten to shore. If the weather conditions had been a little bit different, I would have been able to make it. I didn't need to be saved. Here's what I learned on that job. We're a poor understanding of whether or not we need to be saved, aren't we? The same is true with regards to salvation, with regards to our relationship with God. You and I are sort of a poor judge of whether or not we need to be saved. There's a story told by a man by the name of Chris Collins. He's actually the head of the National Institute of Health. Brilliant man. He's actually got two doctorates in science, and then he decided because he wanted to help people, he'd also get a medical doctorate. And he headed into the South, and he began to minister to people. He began to heal them, touch them, bring them around. And he noticed as he dealt with them, many of them were believers in Jesus Christ. He himself was an atheist. And as he watched and listened to their testimony, he noticed that some people were facing death, did so with a peace and a calm that he had never seen before. And he was impacted by it. And eventually, one of his patients asked him, hey, doctor, I want you to know what's going to happen to you after you die. He said, I had no idea. He said, all my life I had sort of disregarded this idea of God, this idea of faith, and now for the first time I was confronted with my mortality and I made a decision. He said, I was going to read the Bible, I was going to read C.S. Lewis, and he came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But in the end of the story, he says this, in all honesty, I had no idea that I needed to be saved. This morning we're going to talk about grace happens because the reality is we're coming to the close of this series, Stuff Happens. And we've been saying that somehow, according to Romans 8, 28, God takes all things. You recognize, don't you, that most circumstances that happen in our life are beyond our control. But the promise is God is going to take all of those circumstances, even the bad one, and somehow he's going to weave them together for our ultimate good. We said in the midst of that, here's what happens. Growth can happen. Healing can happen. Guidance can happen. But now today I want to talk about what I'd say is the most important one of all, and that's that grace can happen. Ever notice that? Many of us came to know Christ as our Savior in the midst of some very difficult circumstances, didn't we? There was almost this sense in which God in his permissive will allowed difficult things to happen in our lives in order that we'd be flat on our back and we would have nowhere to look but up. 
And many of us became inheritors of the very grace of God through the difficulties of our life. Now today I want to use this as our scripture. It's a familiar one to many people, but it comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now as you came in this morning, you probably recognized there was a bunch of ladders in the lobby, didn't you? I brought a ladder and I put it on, here, on the stage here with me this morning. Some of you probably wondered, is this the church of the Latter-day Saints? It's not. In fact, one wife for me is more than enough. But the reality is this, I brought this along because I want to talk about two ways that people try to save themselves. Now the reality is this, everybody's trying to save themselves, whether they admit it or not. Saved is sort of this word that was used in the past, but it has biblical connotations. Saved in Scripture means to be healed, it means to be redeemed, it means to be delivered. And isn't it true that every single one of us needs to be healed, we need to be redeemed, we need to be delivered from the guilt in our lives? That we need to be healed, we need to be redeemed, we need to be delivered from our fear of death. We need to be healed and redeemed and delivered from meaningless and purposelessness in life. Every single one of us, whether we recognize it or not, needs to be saved. And we go about it in two different fashions. And I want to play those out for you this morning. The first of them is this. Many of us do it by the way of performance. In other words, there's sort of this ladder in our lives, and we say, listen, I'm going to climb the ladder of success. I am going to make myself meaningful, worthwhile. I'm going to make myself known in this world, and that will save me. In the film, The Chariots of Fire, you remember this famous quote, he says, this great racer is about to go to the Olympics, I will raise my eyes and look down the corridor, four feet wide with 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. But here's what he'd later find out in the movie, whether he won the race or not, he still felt hollow, he still felt empty. Whether he sort of climbed the ladder of success in the sports world or in corporation or academia or wherever else, there was still this sense of hollowness inside of him. People, isn't it true that many of us in order to justify our existence is sort of climbing this corporate ladder of significance, of purpose, of meaning in this world. And then you and I sort of hand this down to our children. We say, in effect, listen, here's a tiny ladder for you. Climb this. Do your very best. Make yourself significant and worthwhile in this world. In the year of 1950, they tell me, they asked this question of high school students, how many of you think you are really important in this world? Only 12% of high school students said they thought they were really important in this world. They did the study again in 2005. Do you think it went down or do you think it went up? 80% of high school students in the year 2005 said they are very important in this world. Maybe it's all the trophies that we gave to them. But the reality is this, people feel this need for meaning, significance, success in life, so we sort of climb this ladder, if we will, to make our value, our worth apparent in this world. In fact, in the year of 1966, it was said of most high school students that had an A or an A minus average was about 19%. As you came to the year of 2013 and they examined it again, Now the amount of high school students that had an A or an A minus average went up to 63%. 
So they followed him, and they asked him, in light of the fact that you have reached this zenith academically, do you have more value? Do you have more worth? Do you have more significance in your life? They said, no, just the opposite. I feel more anxious. I feel more worthless when I measure myself up to the people around us. It feels somehow as I'm just never enough. Isn't it true that many of us in our life are sort of climbing this ladder of worth and value, trying to prove ourselves? We put things at the top of this ladder and we figure if we can make our way up and eventually get there, you and I are going to have meaning and value and purpose in life. And yet we often find the opposite. That actually what we continue to pursue after becomes this addiction in our life that never seems to satisfy. And the problem is this, isn't it? As we climb this ladder, what we don't recognize is that you and I are weighted down by the sin of our lives. Now, sin is a word that is outdated in our world as well, but sin is the Greek word hamartia. It simply means to miss the target. Certainly, there are things we do that are offensive to God, things that we leave undone in our lives. But Timothy Keller, the great theologian, one time said this, sin is taking a good thing and making it the ultimate thing taking a good thing and somehow putting it at the top of the ladder, making it the ultimate thing that we're climbing after in life. The problem with sin is you and I don't recognize that it actually gets inside of us, doesn't it? There's a sense in which once sin comes into our life, it taints every single part of our being. I have a friend that is a pastor in the Chicago area, and they have several satellites. And he began to recognize as he would record this sermon together that he'd send it out. People were actually beginning to laugh and say, listen, you can't send this out. He thought to himself, listen, I I think I preached that well. I think it went well in my life. I I don't understand why I can't send this sermon out. And then finally, one of the people on his tech team spoke up and said, listen, every time you preach, it seems like your zipper is down. We can't send that out to people. And he said, you got to be kidding me. This happens week after week, and nobody's ever told me. I never recognized it myself. Not true with regards to the sin in our lives. People around us can maybe see it. But the truth is, you and I can't. We see some sin. But for the most part, we don't see our arrogance. We don't see our pride. We don't see our self-centeredness, do we? The Scripture says this. In Proverbs chapter 19, but who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Because God, the reality of sin has taken root in my heart, and truth is, I can't even see it. There's an illustration of this of a man who has this dream, and he goes to heaven. Let's just suppose for a moment I'm that man. And he's walking down the corridors of heaven, and he sees all of these clocks on the walls in heaven, and each of them has a name underneath it. So I go to Peter and I say, listen, I I don't understand this. Why is there clocks all up and down the hallways and all of them have a name underneath? And he said, listen, those are not clocks. Those are sinometers. In other words, every time somebody sins, there's another tick on the clock. So I see there's Pastor BJ's clock. And about every 30 seconds, sure enough, there goes off another tick. Then I see Pastor Lori's clock, and about every five seconds, tick, tick, it's going off. Then I see Lydia's clock constantly, tick, 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 tick. I think, oh, no. (laughs) So I finally say to him, listen, where's my clock? Does this mean what I think it means? Does it mean that I've reached sinlessness in my own life? He said, oh, no. He said, we've taken that to the office. We're using it as a fan. 
Isn't it true you and I don't understand our own sinfulness and our need for a Savior in our own lives? Isn't it true all of us are trying to somehow climb this ladder of significance, somehow proving our value and our worth in this world, and all of the time not cognizant of our sin? I thought back to my years in high school, and I remember one sin that really bothered me. I remember I was taking a final exam. It was a college entrance exam, and I got to a question that was really hard, and there was a smart girl next to me, and I looked on her paper, and I took her answer. I remember the teacher saw me do it, and she called me over after class, and I thought to myself, here I'm supposed to be known as a follower of Jesus Christ, and I remember saying to her, listen, I don't think it affected my grade any. Instead of I'm a cheater, I'm a sinner, I tried to make some sort of excuse for it. When I was in college, I actually played in a tennis tournament. I wasn't on the tennis team. I'd played some other sports, but I didn't play tennis. But I was taking on the number one tennis player in the college. And I remember I was about to beat him. I'm thinking to myself, this is fantastic. And eventually there came this final shot that went past me. And I noticed that my body had actually blocked the line and he couldn't see it. So he says, was it in or was it out? And I remember I called it out, even though in all honesty it hit the line and I knew it was in. There's a sense in which we look at our own lives and we say, "Lest most of my sin I can't see, but the reality is every now and then God brings it before me. How do I assuage the sin in my life? The Apostle Paul talked about it and he says, here's how you don't do it. You don't do it by works so that anybody can boast. The way of salvation is not by your goodness, not by climbing the ladder of achievement, the ladder of success, the ladder of significance, because even when you get to the top, you'll never feel hollow and empty and have anything in your life. You just won't. In fact, Paul would often talk about the fact that even in the religious community, people are trying to work their way to God. People are trying to climb this ladder of religion. I go to church, I read the Bible, I put some money in the plate every now and then, but none of that will save you. So let's talk about the second way. And this is the way I want to spend some time on. It's the way of grace. That you and I come in honesty before God and we say, listen, God, I've tried to climb the ladder of success, but it always proved hollow and empty in my life. See, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give myself over to you and what Jesus Christ has done for me. I'm going to receive your amazing grace because I recognize I can't work. I can't earn my own salvation. I'm trusting in you and in you alone. And have you ever read a book by Philip Yancey entitled, What's So Amazing About Grace? You ought to get this book. But in there, he tells a story that was actually recorded in the Boston Globe. And he's referring to a modern-day parable, a parable that is found in Luke chapter 14, the parable of the great wedding banquet. He said there was actually a young girl in Boston. She got engaged to this fiancé. She was so excited about her wedding day. The two of them went down to the Hyatt because that's where they were going to have their wedding reception. They picked out everything they were going to eat, picked out the silverware, picked out the centerpiece, picked out everything. They were so excited. They found out the total bill was going to be about $23,000. Now, that was 20, 30 years ago, probably 40000 in today's day and age. And they had to put down a check for half of the amount, and they did so. They walked away, and about a week later, when she sent out the wedding invitations, her groom got cold feet and pulled out of the wedding. She went down to the Hyatt rather angry, asked for her money back. They said, listen, you signed a contract, and this is binding. 
You can either keep the second half or you can pay the second half and you can still have a party. And she made a decision that day that she was going to throw the biggest party ever, not a wedding reception, but just 10 years earlier, she had been homeless, found herself on the street, she had pulled herself up from the bootstraps, and now she had laid this great nest egg, and she decided she was going to spend it on all of her friends. So she sent out all of these invitations out to the homeless shelters, out to the rescue missions, and invited all of them to come to this great day of celebration. She changed the menu, she said, to boneless chicken in honor of her groom, and all of them began to come. And they ate together chicken cordon bleu, the story goes. They ate together caviar and they sipped on champagne and they danced late into the night. Here were homeless people who were used to diving into dumpsters, scraping pizza off cardboard, and now they're enjoying this fancy meal together. People, what an incredible illustration of you and I as sinners who are saved by grace. What an incredible illustration of the wedding banquet found in Luke chapter 14 when Jesus says, listen, go out to the highways and the byways and compel them to come in because I want my house to be full. None of us have sort of earned our way into the very presence of God. None of us have climbed a ladder that has somehow reached to God. But the reality is this, God has reached down to us. Because the way of grace is not a climb up a ladder. The way of grace is Jesus, God's very own son, climbing down the ladder here to earth and giving of himself on our behalf. Now the scripture says this, it is God who justifies, who is he that condemns? Do you know the answer to that question? No one. If you and I made a decision, we're not going to climb sort of the way of performance, the way of significance and meaning in our lives to get to God, but you and I make a decision, we're going to surrender our lives helplessly and wholly to Jesus Christ and Him alone. Who's going to be able to condemn us? The reality is this, no one. Because ultimately what you and I received, you and I received through the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to talk for a moment about the cross, because there is always a vertical beam to the cross, and there is a horizontal beam, isn't there? The vertical beam sort of looks up to God, and we say, in effect, listen, due to my sin, my failure, my shortcomings, some that I can see and some that I can't see, things that I've done and things that I've left undone, and me chasing after the things of this world rather than after the things of God, it weighs me down. And the reality is this, every single one of us owes a debt that we cannot pay. A couple of weeks ago, I went to Stone Brew and I ordered a large cup of coffee in the drive-thru. I get up to the window and they hand me my coffee and I realize I have left my wallet in the office. Ever been there before? So I say to them, hey, listen, I'm the pastor of that church over there and I'm pretty good for it. Is there any way I can pay for it tomorrow or later on today? She goes and she speaks to her manager. She comes back and says, listen, it's on the house. Favorite Dutch words, it's on the house. (laughs) And I remember thinking to myself, in all honesty, it's not on the house. Because somebody had to roast the beans, somebody had to grind them, somebody had to deliver them. Somebody had to pour the cup of coffee. Somebody had to serve me. It's not on the house. In fact, if I went back the next day and say, listen, I, sorry, I forgot my wallet again. I did that every day of the week, maybe 365 days a year. Can you imagine over the period of about a decade, 
36,000 cups of coffee I owe, there's a sense in which I wouldn't be able to pay. There is a psychologist by the name of William Backus, and he actually says you and I, in terms of our body language and in terms of our verbiage, practice deception 200 times a day. In terms of our body language, in terms of our verbiage, the average person practices deception 200 times a day. I'll just say for a moment, he's crazy. Let's suppose it's just 10 times a day. Can you imagine 10 times a day for an entire year, 36,000 practices of deception? Let's give you the first decade of your life free, but you live to 70 years. 60, you recognize that'd be over 200,000 acts of deception, and that is only one part of our sin. We stand before the presence of the holiness of God, and the Scripture says, be holy as I am holy, be perfect as I am perfect, and none of us are able to measure up. But the good news is, not only is there a vertical part of this cross, but there is also a horizontal beam as well. It's that very place that Jesus said, in effect, as he stretched his arms on the cross, this is how much I love you. Any of you, me, like me, ever played that game with your kids before where they stand on the edge of the bed and say, how much does your dad love you? Love you this much, and they jump into your arms? That's what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. He said, listen, I love you this much. When my girls were very little, I read to them a book. It was a book about a prince and his horse. The prince was kind of a snob, if you will, and he wasn't very nice to his horse, but the horse was incredibly loyal. He loved this prince, did everything he possibly could for him. He loved this prince to no end. And eventually the two of them were walking one day, and somebody shot an arrow with the prince, and the horse saw it coming, and he leapt, and he took the arrow, and the horse died. Beth said, why would you read that story to our kids? They're going to need years of counseling in light of the fact that the horse died. But this horse dies, and the prince looks over this horse, and he says, in effect, I should have loved you more, I should have done you more, you were willing to sacrifice your life for me. Isn't that the ultimate expression of love, that somebody would actually give their life for you? The Scripture says this, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. It's the very thing that Jesus did for you. It's what we love about stories is somebody who's willing to give up their life. If you've watched Saving Private Ryan before, you recognize Tom Hanks who's willing to give up his life for a measly private. We see it in Les Miserables and other shows. We recognize when somebody is willing to give up their life. There's something about that where we think to ourselves, hey, is there any kind of a greater form of love than this? You know, don't you, that God sent his one and only son to give his life for you. He loved you that much. And my question this morning would be this. When all of the trouble, when all of the difficulty comes into your life and you're beginning to recognize is it possible that God can take this and work it for good, maybe it's possible that all of this somehow gets your attention for the ultimate thing you need in life in the grace of God. Maybe eventually he's taken you to the end of yourself where you have nowhere to look but up. And you recognize I've been trying to climb this ladder of success, this ladder of value and worth in life, and it's left me hollow And what I need more than anything else is I need Jesus. So my question to you this morning is just simply this. Have you received the gift of grace 
in your life? Now, receiving the gift of grace is not like receiving an honor. Ever been to a commencement service before where you walk in and they give you this program, it's got all the lists of the high school or college graduates, and then some of them got an asterisk by their name, and you look at the key and you recognize those are graduating magnum cum laude and summa cum laude. When I graduated from college, I graduated, thank the lardy. Did any of you? <laughs> if you recognize it's the same way you're going to get into heaven, isn't it? Nobody's going to get their magnum cum laude or summa cum laude. Every single one of us is going to get there, thank the Lord. Thanks for your grace. Thanks for your goodness. Thanks for your favor. And people, maybe today's this opportunity for you to say, listen, I want to give up. I want to stop trying to climb this ladder of significance and success and make myself valuable in the sight of the world. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come to the end of myself, and I'm going to simply cry this prayer. We said it all through Sunday. A, B, C, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ died for me, and at this moment in time, I commit my life to you. Maybe the things that you're going through, maybe this entire series was to bring you to this point where eventually you said to yourself, listen, I got to surrender my life to Jesus. There is no better hope. And I want to lead us together in a time of corporate prayer and give you an opportunity to do that. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to give you thanks that you loved us so much that you stretched out your arms on the cross of Calvary and you died for us. Father, this morning, could you bring us to the end of ourselves? Could we recognize that whatever ladder we've been trying to climb in order to make ourselves honorable in this world, that it'll never last. It'll always lack purpose and meaning. It'll always feel hollow. Father, could we recognize this morning our need to surrender our lives to you? Father, in the quietness of this moment, right in our seats, could we pray together this simple prayer, Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ died for me. And right now I commit, I surrender my life to you. Father, thank you for the people that have prayed that simple prayer. Could you assure them of their salvation through faith in Jesus Christ? And then, Father, as we leave this place this morning, could we share the message of the good news of the hope that we have in you with the world around us? And we just give you thanks for your saving grace. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk, check out our Sunnybrook Unscripted podcast where we talk real life, answer questions, and take a deeper practical look at the topics we talk about on a Sunday morning. For other talks, videos, and live gatherings, rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. Download the Sunnybrook Church app or visit us online at sunnybrookchurch.org. And again, thanks for listening to the Sunnybrook Community Church Podcast.